0: We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Now, Psalms chapter number one, with your Bible open, please. I begin with verse number one in a minute. A few Sundays ago, I began bringing some messages here at Tabernacle on some types. Uh, in the Bible, and I brought you several so far. I preached on uh, Noah's Ark. I preached on the fall of Adam, and I brought several other sermons in the last few months uh, on typology. And I wanna bring you another message tonight along that general line of thought. It's a fascinating thought to me and a fascinating theme to see how the gospel is interwoven and enfolded in all the word of God. Sometimes chapters that we read and read casually and we say, well, I don't see anything in this particular chapter. Uh, And then again, you read it and it'll project itself to you and you say to yourself, why didn't I see the truth in that verse of many a many a day ago? The Bible abounds with many instances like that. The gospel enfolded and sometimes can become unfolded as the spirit of God leads us and as we study and meditate upon the word of God. I want to speak to you tonight on this subject. Christians are like trees. Born-again Christians are like trees. And that may sound a little bit strange to you, but I think you'll see it after I get into the message. Born-again Christians are like trees. In Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. In verse number three, and he, the blessed man that the psalmist is talking about in verses one and two, he shall be like a tree. And there's the subject. The blessed man shall be like a tree, which is planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth it its fruit in due season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever you doeth shall prosper. The Christian is like a tree, the born again man like a tree. Now that may sound like a strange analogy to you, and it is in some ways a strange analogy, but I think as we study the similarity, and we study the typology for a moment, I think you'll see why the psalmist used this kind of a figure of speech in verse number three. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Not like any tree, but like a Pacific tree planted by the rivers of water. Not like any tree, but like a tree that bringeth forth fruit. Not like any tree, but like a tree whose leaves shall not wither. Now, the Christian is not like any kind of a tree, but he is like some kinds of trees that I think I can stipulate and remind you of in the message in this hour. Christians are like trees the world is filled up with trees all kind of trees large and small beautiful and uncomely i read in the closing verses of isaiah 52 that the lord jesus is described as a root out of dry ground and when we see him there's no beauty that we should desire him a root out of dry ground a root is part of a tree of course but the root is that part of the tree that god planned be covered by the, 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 the sand or the dirt. Uh, God never intended the roots to become exposed. I've never seen what I thought was a beautiful root of a tree. Ordinarily, they have no form, no comeliness, and no beauty. But occasionally, a root becomes uncovered and begins to project itself out of the ground, and we see it, and we marvel at how crooked and how irregular and how uncomely a root of a tree can be and uh, jesus has been classified by isaiah the prophet as a root out of dry ground but a tree is a majestic thing a beautiful thing the part of the tree that you can see above the ground can be and sometimes is uh, an all experiencing reality when you look at it you get your breath almost when i was a young man i i heard my teachers in grammar school in high school in college I talk about uh, the beauty of a tree, and I didn't really appreciate it as a young man, as I've grown to appreciate it uh, in the older years of my life. But there's something godly about a tree. Uh, That's why some people are so instant to see that the trees in their yard are never cut away. They want those trees to stay right there until they die, and I think I can understand now why you not want those trees to be moved out of the way. There's something godly and precious about a tree, something beautiful. Could you describe the beauty of a alive, well-formed uh, and erect tree? I doubt if you could. The poets, time and again, have tried to describe the beauty of a tree. I wonder how many poems have been written. I wonder how many short stories have been written about the beauty of a tree. I wonder how many artists have sat down uh, with a canvas and paint, and with all the skill that God has endowed Him with, has tried to copy and duplicate the beauty of a tree on a canvas. Why well, men paint the sunset, men paint the sunrise, men paint the mountain ranges, but men also paint a lovely tree. And there's a many a tree that's been painted by the skilled artist. And you look at it and marvel at the beauty of that tree standing there in the forest, or that tree standing in your, your yard. Well, what way, preacher, would you say that Christians are like trees? That God's people, born again, are like trees? Several things I'd love to say. I'd remind you, first of all, that Christians are like trees in that without them, the earth would soon become void and vain and desert and desolate. Did you hear what I said? Do you know why you have deserts out in the West? Because there are no trees. And where there's, there's a, a void of trees, you've always got desert and desolation, or at least the potential of desert and desolation. But trees bring uh, rain, and trees bring refreshment. Trees bring health to a community. If you ever visit in Israel, you'll be stricken by the fact that there are no trees in the in the state of Israel. Now, in South Carolina, North Carolina, where you and I live, well, everywhere you turn, there are trees, beautiful trees, and I enjoy looking at them. I have never gotten my full of the mountains. I think the most beautiful experience you could ever have is to drive through the majestic mountains. They are lovely. Whatever season, summertime, wintertime, springtime, or falltime, makes no difference. The mountains are lovely and beautiful. And they are filled with trees everywhere. In our country, we have trees. But when you go to Israel, the mountains of Israel are as bare as the ceiling of this auditorium. And that strikes you because you're from a country where there are trees everywhere. Large trees, massive trees, all kinds of trees everywhere in the Carolinas. But go to Israel, there are no trees. On one of the trips to Israel, I said to the guide, why aren't there trees on these mountaintops? Had I thought twice, I think I could have given my own answer. But impulsively, I said, why aren't there trees on these mountaintops? And the guide said, you know, this country was occupied by the Turks for 400 years prior to World War No. 1. Well, that I knew from 1517 down to 1917, Turkey occupied the land of Israel. And the guide said the Turks cut all the timber down and cut all the trees down and shipped them into Turkey and used the lumber in Turkey. Well I got to thinking about that answer and the thought occurred to me in South Carolina when you cut down a stand of lumber in about 20 years you've got another stand to cut down it comes back. You cut one tree down you got a half a dozen coming up all around you. Uh, You don't cut the forest down in South Carolina you cut it down it grows again but in Israel they don't do that you cut it down it's gone and the hills of Judea right now are as vain and as vacant of trees as the ceiling of this building and that's a striking thing but here's what I wanted to say the Jews that are there now are returning to Israel have enough judgment and scientific know-how and they have enough knowledge to know that they can't survive in Israel without forest without trees and they set out build a uh, plant forest not thousands of trees but they plant trees in Israel by the millions Wealthy Jews from around the world ship trees, uh, young trees into Israel and plant them on the hills of Judea by the millions. And you tour Israel now and the God will say that forest over here. And a forest to them is trees about six or eight feet tall. And they say that forest over here was planted by so and so. A gift of some country or a gift to some wealthy institution. And all over Israel they're planting trees because they came to recognize That without trees, a land will soon become desert, barren, and desolate. Now that's so not only in Israel, it's so anywhere else. If we cut the trees away from South Carolina and North Carolina and refuse to allow any others to grow in their places, soon our own land will become barren and desert and desolate. You see, trees are necessary. For without them, the earth would soon become barren and desolate. Now, you know exactly what I'm going to say, don't you? You're running ahead of me in my sermon. I want to say to you, in spite of all that the world might say contrary-wise, I want to say to you, in spite of the fact that sometimes I know God's people are misunderstood and criticized unjustly, that this world without God's people would be a vain and a barren and a desolate world in which to live. If there were no children of God in Greenville, I'd recommend to my wife that we move away on tomorrow. And enough of God's people moving out of Greenville would soon turn this place over to hoodlums and crooks. And nobody could survive in Greenville County were it not for God's people the salt of the earth. And I wouldn't want to live in a land, no land, not even America, were it not for God's people who Jesus said are the salt of the earth and the light of the world without them any land soon becomes barren and vain and waste now that's over city i think that's one of the reasons large cities are in the condition they are as far as crime and sin is concerned we don't have the percentage of godly people in the major cities our cities these days are being built up so rapidly Uh, apartment complex and housing complex all over the area rising so rapidly and into those buildings move all kinds of people and sometimes the most vile kinds of people who care nothing about Greenville except their paycheck that they might earn from week to week. Uh, They wouldn't care if Tabernacle burned to the ground If all the Christian radio programs went off the radio, they would care not, you see. But I say to you that any city without God's people will soon become barren and desolate and a waste community. Would you like to live in Las Vegas? I've never been to Las Vegas, and I don't have any desire to go. Now the gamblers go, and the drinkers go, but I have no desire to go to Las Vegas. I'm sure that there are good people in Las Vegas. But from what I can read about the city and learn about the city, the percentage of godly people in Las Vegas is way down below what the average city would produce. And as a result of that, you've got an open city with open prostitution, with open gambling, with open bare lounges and, and, uh, and bar rooms. Everything open, wide open. Help yourself. Now, nobody will want to live a rare upper family in Las Vegas, no, or any other city like it, not at all. Now, a child of God, give him credit for his due. The child of God is salt and light. The child of God is a force of godliness and righteousness in any community, whether the community is willing to admit it or not, it's a fact. And I think we ought to concede that fact and give recognition where recognition is due. Christians are like trees in that without them, soon the country becomes desolate. Number two, Christians are like trees in that they produce rain. I said to you a moment ago that forest makes rain, makes far rain. That's one of the reasons our government is so concerned about planting new forests when they go in and cut down timber, cut down pulpwood. Uh, They insist that new timber be planted, new pulpwood be planted. Because our countries come like Israel to recognize that the trees and the forests produce rain. And rain is so vital to the prosperity of any nation you know and would know well. God's people, like trees, produce the rain of revival. God's people, like trees, produce the rain of blessings upon a community. You know, God says he sends the rain upon the just and the unjust alike. Have you ever thought what Greenville would be if there were not God's humble people in this city? Now the unsaved crowd would not concede it, but they reap a many a blessing poured out upon Greenville because of God's people within its gates. Now of course the drinkers and the cussers consume that blessing and they never recognize God's people. But the reason that blessing comes oftentimes is because of God's people who bring the reign of revival and the rain of blessings upon a community whether they are aware of it or whether the community is aware of it or not the fact remains christians produce the blessings of god and the more the christians the more of the blessings of god upon a community the less of christians naturally the less of the blessings of god upon a community and i'm not talking about material blessings altogether. I'm talking about spiritual blessings and spiritual benedictions. Uh, Christians produce those and bring them upon any community like a mighty tree and how like trees we are in that aspect. Then again, Christians are like trees in that the tree has the ability to heal itself of any hurt that might be inflicted. That's an amazing thing. Sometimes men out in the forest uh, will carelessly or accidentally wound a tree, a young tree, with an axe or with a machine. The bark is knocked off, the skin is knocked off the tree. And they don't take any time to do anything to that tree uh, in the way of healing that wound. But the tree has the ability, if left alone, to heal itself. What boy of us? Has not walked through the forest and looked at a tree with a great uh, gapping wound upon it. Maybe made by lightning, or maybe made by some woodsman's axe. There's a gapping wound upon that tree that was inflicted, say, five, six, seven years ago. And when it was first inflicted, uh, six or eight inches of the tree was exposed to the elements. But slowly and season by season, That tree began to close the wound. And if left alone in a few seasons, that wound will be completely closed up. And a new bark will be covered, covering that uh, wounded place. Now the tree can do that of its own ability without the help of a single person around. Christians are like that. You listen at me now for a moment. When the child of God becomes wounded, as sometimes we are, you're wounded heavily and sorely by a harsh word or by a slanderous word or by a wicked attitude or by misunderstanding. You're cut and wounded sometimes by your family, sometimes through a neighbor, sometimes, God forbid, sometimes in the church circle, you're wounded and hurt. Now, you're like a tree if you're really a born-again child of God. If you become wounded, you don't take out and quit. You don't die and decay. But if left alone, if you're a child of God as you ought to be, the grace of God performs an operation and a miracle. And in a few days, that wound that you've received is healed. There's no ill will, there's no hatred, there's no malice in your heart toward that one that might have opened the wound. Because God healed it, and it's healed from the inside, not from the outside, but healed from the inside. And slowly that heal will actually completely cover the wound if left alone. Isn't that an astounding thing? You don't knock God's people out. You afflict them, and they'll rise to their feet again. You slander them, but they'll keep on singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound you despite they use them but they'll keep on serving god and being loyal and faithful to the savior nonetheless you're not going to cause them to quit you may wound them but god's given to him inward grace that will heal the wound from the inside and he'll press on and keep on being what a child of god ought to be christians are like trees in that respect there are no there are no fatalities in god's army Now may I say that again. There are no fatalities. There are many casualties. But there are no fatalities. There has never been one child of God so wounded until he became a fatality. Not a one. You may be wounded deeply and sorely. But you'll recover if you're God's child. And you may say to yourself, I can never survive this. I can never get over this. But you do survive it and you do get over it if you're God's child. Wounded. He'll come through. Sometimes we might be wounded by grief and heartache. When I had the, the heartache and the tragedy in my own life. From the desolation of my soul, I cried, Lord God, how can I survive? An experience like this. How can I preach the gospel of peace and the gospel of grace. From an experience like this and from a heart that's been broken into a thousand pieces. How can I stand before a congregation and declare that God's great and God's gracious. I said I can never survive this. And I was honest in that. I was sincere in that. I can never survive it. This is is the end. And I actually began to think and ponder how I could resign the ministry and get away from it. Actually, now now don't, don't indict me too hard unless you've been through the experience. Now if you've been through that experience and you didn't have those thoughts, then you indict me all you may and then pray for me. But if you have not had that experience, then you withhold your criticism please. And you withhold your judgment. And I hope you'll withhold it for all your life. I hope you'll never learn it from experience. But when a man plunges into that kind of a valley and that kind of a heartbreak, a thousand questions comes to his mind and he cries out, Oh God, have you clean forgotten me? What's wrong? Why Have you forgotten me? Why, Lord, why? And a thousand whys come to your mind. And you say, I can't survive this. I can't endure this. And you say, well, I'll have to resign. I'll have to get out of the ministry. I cannot go on. But somehow the healing oil of grace begins to bind up the wound from the inside. And God pours on that balm and pours on that ointment. And you'll never, the scar remains for all your mortal days. But the wound is healed from the inside. You carry the scar with you to the grave. But the wound is healed by the grace of God. And only by the grace of God. A tree can do that. And so regardless of the degree of your wound. Regardless of the depth of your hurt. If you're God's child, there are no fatalities in god's army god has never submitted a fatality list and neither has god ever submitted a prisoner list the devil has never imprisoned one of god's children and the devil can't kill one of god's children there may be many casualties But there'll be no fatalities, you can rest assured of that. Like a mighty tree, the child of God will heal himself from the inside. Once he's wounded, matters not how deep that wound may be. I take courage in that. Let come what may. I take courage in that. Cast down, but not forsaken. Thrice was I shipwrecked, but I'm still going on, said the Apostle Paul. I was cast outside the wall for dead, but got up and walked away. I faced the lions of Ephesus, but God delivered me. I was a hundred, but I have never famished. I have had friends desert me, but the Almighty has never deserted me. Forsaken and cast down, but not forgotten not so bad to be cast down when God reaches his hand down with you and picks you up by his mighty arm, is it? It's not so bad to be cast down when God leans over and whispers sweet things in your ear and says, Press on, son. It'd be better down the road a bit further. Not so bad at all when God gives you that kind of grace to endure in the hard places of this journey. Like the mighty tree, the child of God has the ability to heal himself from the inside. And then number four, the Christian is like a tree in that they cannot survive. They cannot survive apart from their source. Now you dig up a tree, it may be a large large tree, a massive tree, with a great large trunk with many uh, uh, branches. But you dig the tree out of the ground and set it on top of the soil, it'll soon wither away. It can't survive. Out of its source. It's got to have contact. That tap root has to go down and down and down into the dirt. Where the, moist is, where the dirt is moist and fresh. And where life-giving strength and substance can be extracted from the soil. And through the sap carried all the branches of that mighty tree. Cut it off from that source. Matters not how mighty it may be. It'll soon wither. But leave it in the ground, let come the deserts, let come the the wind, let come the storms, let come the elements. It's got its tap roots deep down like a tree planted by the rivers. And it'll stand, it'll stand, but uprooted from its source, it'll die. Now I want to say this to you, you're like that. You're made for God and for his people. You get a child of God saved by grace and then carry him out to a, a, to a bad environment. Take him to where you ought not to be. Put him in the, uh, in the lounge. Put him in the, uh, in the bar room. Put him on the dance floor. Put him around the gambles, gambler's table. And he's out of place. And if he's got much grace, he'll hide it. And if he's got any joy, he shall lose it. And if he's got any sonship... He's going to be whipped, and if he's not chastened, he's not a child of God to begin with. But cut him off from the source, he'll wither, but leave him contacted with the source, he'll stand up many a storm. Christians are like that. Now God made you for church, God made you for preaching, God made you again for singing, God gave you a new birth for witnessing, God gave you a born again experience for tithing, that's your source. That's your natural source. That's your natural environment. And you are absolutely at ease in your natural environment. When you come to church and the preacher preaches on tithing, you don't get upset because that's your environment. Preacher preach on separation, you don't get angry, that's your environment. Preacher preach on the Bible, you say amen. I've been feeding on that all my life. That's my environment. You don't get angry, but you cut yourself off from the church and stay at home and watch the TV or visit with relatives, not gonna be long till your leaves will begin to wither and you're gonna lose the joy of sins forgiven with that kind of an attitude. Christians are like trees in that they cannot survive apart from their source. Then number five, Christians like trees in that hardness produces great trees. Hardness produces great trees. That's an astounding thing. You'd think great trees would be grown in a nursery. Now great trees can be started in a nursery. I noticed on the side of the road yesterday as I drove to my meeting up in Asheville, a nursery out on top of the Blue Ridge Mountains, all kind of, instead said a tree farm. And I suspect they had thousands of little trees waist high on that farm. But that man will never produce a great tree now, he can, he can start a lot of great trees, but he can't produce any trees in that kind of environment. Well, you take up one of those trees that started in that nursery and put it out in the right place for its nature, and you can grow a mighty tree that you couldn't reach around the trunk of, that reaches towering up into heaven if you put it in the right place. Now, once you get the tree started, you don't have to feed it and pump it and, and tend it and... Uh, and, and fertilize it and so on. It can take care of itself. And uh, if you get tree started, you don't have to worry about how cold the weather may get or how hot the weather may get because the colder the weather gets and the hotter the weather gets and the summer the bigger tree you've got. Isn't that astounding? Out in Texas, you don't, in, in West Texas, you don't have great trees. Uh, in East Texas, you have mighty pine trees, much like we have in uh, South Carolina and Louisiana and Mississippi. But you go west in Texas, and, and the trees uh, get smaller and smaller, and all of them are bent. Every one of them bent toward the wind. Every little tree is bent in the direction of the wind. And the wind blows out there so much, hot wind, until the trees are bent in that direction. And they don't get large, no large trees. And you say, why don't you have big, massive oak trees and large, hundred feet tall pine trees in West Texas? And the answer is because they don't have any hard winters. Now, they have hot summers, but they don't have any cold winters. Their cold winters just don't materialize. But you go back up here in these mountains of Kentucky and West Virginia, and in the summertime, it can get hot, awful hot. And then in the wintertime, it can get cold, awful cold. That doesn't hurt those trees. The hotter it gets and the colder it gets. It takes both extremes to grow a great tree. If you have only one extreme, you've got a scrub. You've got nothing. But if you've got a lot of heat and a lot of cold, you've got a massive tree. It takes both extreme, hot or cold to grow a tree. Isn't that something? now Christians are that way suppose in your life since you've been saved you would had everything that you'd ever wanted handed to you on a silver platter here it is what do you want now son here it is what I want and here it is on a silver platter don't have to pray for it don't have to work for it don't have to worry about it don't have to fret over it here it is handed to you you wouldn't be worth killing that would not develop a character that would not be good for you, not at all. These young fellows come to the Bible Institute, and and I want them all to know that it's a real joy as far as I'm concerned and Brother Aiken is concerned and the other uh, faculty members to have these students in our Bible Institute. But they come here, young men, lot of zeal. Oh, brother, they've got it. I I envy their zeal. I'm jealous of their youth. I'm envious of their strength. They come here all fired up and filled with zeal. Now, it wouldn't be good for them if I had a magic wand and I could wave that magic wand and and put all these boys right down in the midst of a, a flourishing church and everything be handed to them. They've got an automobile allowance and they have a $12,000 a year income and they live in a $40,000 mansion. And uh, they, have every, they have an assistant pastor and a, an assistant to the assistant and they have uh, four or five secretaries in the office and they have a a youth director and they have this and that and they have a paid vacation and they have all the expenses paid, gasoline allowance paid, that wouldn't be good for these fellas. You think it would be, but it wouldn't. It's just not best that you have it come that way. But i tell you what's good for you, when you get out here and shake the brush and preach on the street and go down to the jailhouse and out to the rest homes. And uh, up to the little church with 25 in Sunday school and uh, preach for nothing and sometimes pay your way to get to preach. That's good for you. That's making a man out of you, making a preacher out of you. That's doing something for your character that nothing in the world can do quite as good as that kind of experience. And I know what I'm talking about. I've been through, I'm not saying I'm a great preacher, but I've been through a lot. I shall never forget, a lady called me one time, yes, Saluti up here in the Blue Ridge. And she said, would you come up and preach for us? This has been, this has been 25 years ago, uh, maybe, maybe 30 years ago. By the way, this month, today, in fact, I begin my 35th year in the ministry. But 25 years ago, this lady called me and said, would you come up here and preach for us on, in the mountains? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll come preach. And I made the date and uh, got Horace Jones with me and we drove I was living I was living on uh, out off the Lawrence road I was pastor at Pelham and living here in the city and we went up to that she told me how to find the place she said she said you come to Saluti, we'll have somebody meet you in Saluti. and so I drove to Salute with brother Horace and they had somebody to meet us in that little town there on top of the Blue Ridge and he said now the man that met us said you just follow me and we'll carry out to the little church And I fell in behind the man. He drove and drove and drove and drove and drove. And And we left the paved highway and drove on dirt and kept on driving, kept on driving, kept on driving on dirt. And the roads got more narrow and more winding. And I thought we'd never arrive. Finally, we came to a clearing and two or three little houses on top of the mountain. And off to the side was a little shack of a church. And you believe me, that's literal made out of secondhand lumber. I doubt seriously if it was as large as this choir. I doubt if it seat 50 people. Had uh, burned uh, 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 sheet sheet metal tin as a covering for the roof. They had benches made with no backs, just a bench to sit on. And the piano had never been tuned in the last decade, I'm sure. And they didn't have any windows, glass windows, they had shutters. And they opened the shutters and people would look in through the window. Half a dozen or so a dozen people came in and heard me preach. And I was really let down. I'll tell you, I was dragging low that night. But I prayed. I said, now, Horace, this, this, is, a, this is a very humble situation up here. And, and uh, let's do our best now. I want you to sing tonight as if the angels sat on these pews. And then while I'm preaching, you pray for me that God helped me to preach like Gabriel was saying amen to amen call. And I was dead in earnest about that. And I believe the Lord heard my prayer and heard Brother Horace Jones' prayer. And I never heard him sing no one would care for me like Jesus so beautiful in my life. Just blessed me and warned me. And then when I got up to preach, I had great liberty and freedom and power. And I preached and had a good hour of preaching to those mountain people, 25 of them maybe, so timid and shy, some of them wouldn't even come inside the building, looked in through those openings in the wall. When I finished the meeting, Said goodbye to that little crowd of mountain people. One of them, one of the ladies, put a, a brown candy bag in my hand with what I knew was some money. And uh, it was round at the top, and she said, This is the offering. Well, I know it couldn't have been much. It couldn't have been over several dollars. And most of it, it seemed to me, was in small change as I felt it in my hand. I thanked her and said, God bless you. And Horace and I drove off the mountain almost in silence. And down the road, I laid that little brown bag in his lap. And I said, Horace, you can have the offering. And uh, I, to this day, don't know how much the offering was. But I I thought to myself, this is not much of a meeting tonight. But then the thought occurred to me. And as I rode off the mountain, God seemed to speak to he and uh, to Brother Jones and to me. and And God seemed to say, now, son, you didn't get much pay tonight, did you? And he didn't have a nice, beautiful building to preach to and a large congregation of people. But son, these are my people. They love me. And God seemed to say, I appreciate you coming to me and preaching, Father. And God seemed to say, I'm going to pay you off when you get to heaven. And by that time, I was feeling better. And I said, Horace, we didn't get much payday tonight, did we? But I said, when we get to heaven, God's going to remember this little shack on top of the mountain. And we'll get our pay when we get to heaven. And that's how preachers are made. And you don't make preachers any other way. There's no hurry up process. There's no abbreviated process. Preachers are made by the grind of work and disappointment. And it's good for you sometimes to have to sweat and toil for every inch of progress that you make along the way. It seems like a hard world and a cruel world, but it's not. That's God's way. And Christians are like trees. In that heart of the way, the harder the the weather, the better Christians you become. And the harder the weather, the bigger trees grow. The taller pines grow. The harder the weather. You go up on top of Newfound Gap, in the Smoky Mountains, you reach what they call a timber level. And you know when you reach that timber level because the trees beyond that, as you go to the top of the mountain, get smaller and smaller and smaller. Until when you get to the top of Newfound Gap, between Cherokee and, and Gatlinburg, you've got nothing on top of that mountain but trees about five feet tall. Little scrubs of trees about five feet tall. And the reason is because they have nothing but coal, nothing but coal. They don't have any heat. And they don't grow scrubs. But get off the mountain down to the valley where they have heat in the summer and freezing in the winter. And you've got mighty trees, you see. Hardness! Hardness makes great trees. And hardness makes great Christians sometimes. Then, number six, Christians like trees in that their bent is always upward. Their bent is always upward. I've told this story, I think. Years ago, I was preaching in eastern North Carolina in a meeting. And a fellow in the church had a nursery. And he had a spruce pine. I've always thought spruce pines to be beautiful. Don't you agree with me? I like an old, long leaf pine. I even like a short leaf pine like we've got in Greenwood County. But I think a spruce pine is majestic. And I've always loved a spruce pine. So I said to that nursery man, I want, I want to buy two of these spruce pines from you. And they were small, about waist high, and I bought them. They were bundled up. I put them in my trunk of my car and brought them from eastern North Carolina. And I put both those spruce pines out in my front yard. And that's been a good number of years ago, nearly 20 years ago, I guess. And uh, they began to grow. They lived. And then all of a sudden, one of those pines got diseased somewhere and, and it died. The top of it died. It started dying at the top. And, and finally, the, the main branch that reached up, just all the branches from it just died. And I despaired. I said, the other seemed to survive and still is surviving, both of them, in fact. But the other didn't have the problem. And so one day I said, the only hope is to cut that dead part of the tree out. So I took a saw and, and uh, by that time it was about head high and I cut the top of that spruce pine out and left it just about knee-high a little bit with some branches going out, no center shaft reaching up, and it was about the most uncommonly thing you ever saw. But at least those branches down in the bottom were still alive, and it reached out like, a, like a, some kind of a shrub of, of some, time, some type. Uh, it, it lost the glory of a high towering in spruce pine, and I was rather ashamed of it. But I knew it was going to die if I didn't do something, so I cut the top out. But I was a little bit ashamed of it, but I went on my way. And then one day, I got the surprise of my life. I just happened to look out of my window at that little spruce pine, and I found out that one of those side limbs had begun to turn this away. And by the time I noticed it, it was almost straight up. And I said, "That look what's happening one of those side limbs that did reach out this way began to turn this way. And would you believe me that the largest tree I have in my yard, the highest tree I have in my yard right now is the one that I cut off and it nearly died. And that side limb turned upward and now it reaches above every tree I've got in my yard. The bit of a tree is always upward. And if you turn the rope loose and let it go like nature wants it to go, it'll go that way. Right up. And if you make it go any other way, you have to tie it. Turn it loose and she'll go right up toward heaven. Reaches up toward heaven. Now a Christian is like that. Cut him down. He'll get up with his face torn toward the sky. Afflict him! He'll lift his face toward the sky. Let the devil manhandle him! He'll turn with his face toward the sky. His bent is in that direction. Always in that direction. The child of God is like the tree and that his bent is always upward. And you can't make it any other way. The tree will turn itself. You don't have to make it turn upward. It will turn itself skyward. And so the child of God. You're not going to get the child of God to walk around like a pig. With his head turned toward the ground. You get a man born again, he's going to look toward the stars every once in a while and wonder which one of those stars is the throne of God. He's going to turn his head toward heaven if he gets born again. But then last but not least, a tree is like a Christian, a Christian is like a tree in that they cannot grow in a strange environment. You take a tree out of its natural environment, it'll die. And the child of God can't be normal and natural in a strange environment. But you take a child of God and put him in the environment of a local church, put him in the environment of preaching, in the environment of praying and singing, that's his natural climate. And he'll flourish in that. He'll, get, he'll wax fat on that because that's his natural climate. As old Buck hunter says, he'll get climatized. Now don't want that in the dictionary. That's Blue Ridge Mountain talk. But he says that's, he'll, he'll get climatized. And once they get climatized, they're all right. But you can't climatize those trees I'm talking about. They have to have the mountain. They have to have the thin air of 5,000, 7,000 feet elevation to survive, you see. So Christians are that way. Out of their natural climate, their natural environment, they cannot survive as they are. He should be like a tree planted by the river. Now I want to be the child of God. Like the tree that you take a second look at. Have you ever found yourself just looking at a tree? I have many times in my life. I've seen beautiful trees. And when you see a beautiful tree, let it be an oak or a pine or what have you. When you see a beautiful tree, it catches your attention. You want to keep looking at it. Just Feed your eye upon its beauty. Only God could make a tree. Only God could make a Christian. And we should be like trees planted by the river. God grant we may be that tree that demands a second look when people pass by. May we would stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Everybody, stand it. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.